We're coming near the end now of First Peter. Just uh, two or three more labs, and I think we'll be done with this great book. Often we pass over these concluding words as though, well, we're done with the main body of the letter, and we can just move through this quickly and get on to something more substantial. That's probably a mistake. There are valuable things for us even here. All Scripture is inspired and profitable. So let's ask, what lessons can we learn from concluding salutations? And and let's say a word about Greek and whether or not knowing the original language Greek is important or not. Father, here is a text that you have inspired. Uh, Peter didn't write this in vain. He could have left it all out if he wanted to. He meant for us to see something valuable. Show us some of what that is, at least, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. We'll, we'll spend a couple of sessions on this, but let's just ask now um, about Silvanus, faithful brother, I have written. Notice it says, I have written. So this letter is from Peter as we know from the first verse of the book. But he says that he has written it by Silvanus. And pretty much most everybody agrees what that means is that Silvanus, as we encounter in the letters of Paul, also was a scribe or a secretary or amanuensis, and Peter was dictating and we don't know why that was the case, but uh, it seems to have been the case. And it's interesting that Peter didn't have to say that here. He could have just said, um, I've written briefly to you, exhorting, and, and just left, left Sylvanus out. But this is an illustration, isn't it, of, you know, you might call it full, full disclosure. There are, no, there are no secrets. He's not trying to hide anything. And as soon as he mentions him, he calls him a faithful brother. And, and you might ask, well, if he's only a secretary, taking down what Peter says, why do you need for him to be faithful and a brother? I mean, a, an unbeliever could do that if he was a good scribe. And uh, wouldn't it be the case that he wants to stress that even though they probably know who Sylvanus is, Sylvanus is, is, is the same person we meet in all likelihood, since it's the same name, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 and 2 Thessalonians uh, 1, 1 and 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 19, uh, a partner in Paul's ministry. So it shows that there's overlap between Peter's teams and team and Paul's team. And they probably knew who Sylvanus was, and he emphasizes he's a faithful brother because perhaps um, Peter may have been blind. I mean, I'm just making this up to show that there may be more reason for this than we realize. And if he's blind and he's dictating, then Sylvanus has a huge stake in being faithful that he doesn't do something Peter can't check and distort what he says. And even after, I mean, just forget that idea that Peter might have been blind by this time, but that as soon as that letter goes into Sylvanus's hands, you have to trust him that he doesn't 
ruin it or distort it in some way. And this, this simply reminds me, all of us, I think, that we make huge choices pretty much every day in our lives based on a trust of people's faithfulness, don't we? I mean, even simple things like the person coming down the road toward us at 60 miles an hour is not going to swerve over into our lane. We, we go on evidences that people aren't going to likely do that. But even in bigger matters, we trust people, and there's evidence for trusting people and regarding them as faithful and taking Peter's word for it that Sylvanus is one of those. And we, we marry and we take jobs and all of this, not with the kind of mathematical proof that a marriage won't go bad, but with a huge sense that I trust your faithfulness. And so I just draw your attention to the fact that trust and evidences for faithfulness, which cannot often, cannot always be quantified, are, are valid and real and a good and wise way to live. And that's the way we do it. So Peter is saying, yes, I've written through Sylvanus. He is a brother. He is faithful. And he has my stamp of approval. And I have written briefly to you, which means even though this is a five-chapter long letter, there's a thousand things to be said about the glories of of Christianity. And so this is a, a brief letter. And then he says, interestingly, what I've written is an exhorting And what I've written is a declaring. And right here comes the issue of of Greek. Um, This word declaring here is, there there are several words that mean declare in Greek. This one is unusual and means uh, declare as a witness. A witness or as a testimony. In other words, I'm, I'm involved in this. And you can't see that without Greek here, that is epimartoreo, and not katangelo or something like that. And I just want to say that in regard to this, um, nothing essential in the New Testament is going to be missed by not knowing Greek. Nobody should be discouraged that they can't find riches, thousands and thousands of riches in the New Testament, even though you don't know the original language. But it can be enriching. Let me just point out something interesting here. So he's exhorting and declaring as a witness. When you go back to chapter, um, verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, so I exhort, now that's the same word as exhorting in verse 12, so 12 verses later, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness. So that connection, I exhort as a witness, compared to I have been exhorting and declaring as a witness, you wouldn't be able to see that connection without uh, Greek to know that behind this word witness is a, is a stem that's the same as that word declare as a witness. Now, why might that be significant? Well, because it seems like not only is this particular part right here of verse 1 a witness-like 
exhortation. But Peter now, it looks, it appears, is saying, this whole letter has been like that. This whole letter has been my exhorting and declaring as a witness. I'm, I'm putting my whole letter under the banner of, I've been there. I've seen Jesus. I've tasted suffering. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not writing theoretically. That's, that's the main lesson I'm getting from this. When these two words go together, just like these two words go together, it's, it's saying, I write as one who has tasted. I've, I've, I've experienced it. And I just want to encourage all of us to talk that way and write that way. Let's, let's not be theoretical. Let's not just propound things because they sound intellectually interesting. Let's talk about what we've known, what we've tasted, what we've seen, what we've heard. Let's let there be a witness character in all that we write. I think that's what Peter wants to say by, by including this word and not just this word. And maybe just a closing comment about the word exhorting, 35 times there are imperatives in this letter. I think that's what exhorting means. And I just put a few of them here. Hopefully, be holy, conduct yourselves in fear, love each other, be subject to, to the institutional authorities, honor everyone, keep your tongue from evil, honor Christ as holy, be self-controlled and sober, rejoice, don't be surprised at the fiery trial, entrust yourself to God, clothe yourselves with humility, resist the devil, stand in grace, greet one another with a kiss. That's what Peter means when he says, I've been exhorting you. Yes, you have. And that's so much of what Scripture is and what the Christian life is. We, we are a people who need guidance from God. And so uh, Peter sees the whole letter as a personal expression of what he has tasted and seen in relation to the Lord Jesus. And he sees the whole letter as instructive guidance. And so let's receive it that way and let's pass it along that way.